Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. We're going through four promises that God makes to everyone. And uh, God's revealed these four promises, and he first revealed these promises in the story of the Exodus. How many remember the story of the Exodus? All right, if you're not familiar, it's where God sent Moses to Egypt because the Israelites were in captivity, they were in bondage, they were slaves. They cried out to God for deliverance, and God sent them Moses. Remember the whole burning bush thing? God speaks out of the burning bush and sends Moses to Egypt to free the Israelites. Well, Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go because he let my people go is what, what Moses says. And every time, you know, Pharaoh puts his foot down and God sends a plague on Egypt. God sends 10 plagues. And of course, we know as the result of the 10th plague, the final plague, the big, the big one, Pharaoh decides, you know, this is not a good idea after all. Let's let him go. And that's, of course, where the Red Sea comes in. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, the Israelites escape through the Red Sea. And of course, they make their way towards freedom. So God instructed the Jewish people to commemorate this event, and it's called Passover. And they celebrate Passover with a meal. They've been doing this for, for 3,500 years. I think Passover ends tonight or this evening. Uh, it runs seven days, and in some Jewish circles it runs eight. It just depends on kind of where you're at. But uh, in fact, we, we kind of missed the significance of Passover. If you remember, when Jesus had his final meal with his disciples, it was a Passover meal, and we call that the Last Supper. That's the meal he was sharing with his disciples uh, the night before uh, he was crucified. So 3,500 years ago, the Jewish people began to recite four promises that God made to them while they were slaves in Egypt. And of course, Passover is a meal, and they commemorate the meal uh, with, with certain things. And they'll use four cups of wine at that meal because God gave them four promises. So all the food on the table represents something how God's speaking to them and giving promises. Well, we're just going to focus on four. So here's the good news. You say, what does all this have to do with Easter? The Bible says that Jesus is our Passover, and he completes the promises that are revealed in this meal and the promises that God made to the Israelites 3,500 years ago. So the promises he made 3,500 years ago, when we are born again, we come into the family of God, we are entitled to those same promises. So that's some good news, amen? So let's, let's do this. I'm going to look at those four promises just briefly, and then we're going to really focus in on the first one. But the four promises are this, and it's, it's recorded in Exodus chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 6. It says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. What is the promise? I will bring you out. The first cup of wine that they, they use to commemorate this promise is called the cup of sanctification. I know it's a big word, but it just means this, where God sets us apart. See, God wants to bring them out of Egypt and set them apart. And God still wants to accomplish that in our lives today. Just as God promised to bring the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, God promises to bring us out of this world and out of our sin. So that's the first promise God wants to accomplish in our lives. He wants to bring us out out from this world, out from the bondage of sin. So like the Israelites, we're, we're enslaved. Whether we like it or not, before we come to Jesus, we're enslaved to sin. But God makes this promise that he wants to set us free. Here's the second promise. I will free you from being slaves to them. Exodus 6, 6, I will free you from being slaves to them. God wants to not only bring us out, but he wants to set us free. 
And some people go to church, here's what they'll try to do, put on the right clothes, act the, act the right way, and it never, it never sets you free. I mean, you can go to church all day long, play the part, but it never sets you free. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, but I need to get my life right with God. I need to get my life right with God. I need to get my life right. And basically, it sounds good, but people try to get their life before they come to God. It doesn't work that way. It never works. Here's what I would say. Don't, don't clean. We don't need to clean ourselves up so that we can get to God first. We come to God first so that he can clean us up. Don't, don't get that backwards. And that's what church and religion can do to you. You don't try to clean yourself first and get to God so he'll accept you. No, he wants you just as you are. It doesn't matter, matter how messy it is. God wants you just as you are. That's his business, amen? It's to clean us up. You don't have to get yourself all just right. God accepts you just as you are, but there's a work in progress that begins. And if you know the story of the Exodus, you know this, that while physically the Israelites had escaped from Egypt, they were not free. I mean, they were not in bondage and slavery, but in their hearts and in their minds, they were still slaves. They still, they still acted like slaves. You say, well, help me put that into perspective today. I put it into perspective this way under the New Testament. It's kind of like this. We get saved, but we still got issues. We still got maybe addictions that we're dealing with. Uh, maybe we have habits. Maybe we have attitudes, uh, behaviors that, that keep us bound. I guess that would be the best New Testament version of that. Yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, but I still have these issues that I'm dealing with. The second cup is called uh, the cup of deliverance. Deliverance is a promise in God's word. It's a promise that God makes to us that he, that he will set us free from sin. So it's a promise that begins all the way back in the book of Exodus. Unfortunately, most, most Christians get stuck at cup number two, and they never get the cup or promise number three or four. Here's why. Because we get stuck in our, in our addictions, we get stuck in our habits, and we just get so frustrated that we can get to this place like, well, why do I even need to go forward? This, this doesn't work. This church stuff doesn't really work. And that's where some of us get stuck. But the next promise is called redemption. And even though we, when we are saved, we're born here, we are redeemed, there's a, a redeeming work that takes place. And sometimes Christians don't go through this entire redeeming work. Let me show you why. Exodus 6, 6, And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Redemption is the act, or the act of being bought back and being restored to the original intent. See, when, when Israel went into captivity in Egypt, they were God's people. So God brings them out so that they're not slaves anymore. He brings them out of Egypt so that they could be his people, to be redeemed, to be bought back, and to be restored to the original purpose. God wants to do that for each and every one of you here today. That is a promise that you can find throughout God's word. If you ever come to this church and you're, you're here on a regular basis, you'll hear me say these words. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You'll hear me say that quite often. Here's why. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And sometimes we just don't really get that. We don't, maybe because of the situation we're in. Because we, we don't always see the plan. But he has a, listen, when you were born, you didn't surprise God. God, you were born, and then God said, well, you know, what can I do for this guy? Well, you know, what's his job? no. Before you were born, God had a plan for you. And redemption makes that plan come alive. Let me just say this. Remember, church, his plan is always better than our plan. His plan is always better than our plan. Before you were created in the womb, 
God knew you and he had a plan for you. Look at Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or set you apart. I ordained that you would be a prophet uh, to the nations. Here, you may not be a prophet, okay? And that's okay, but still God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The fourth cup is the, called the cup of fulfillment. Exodus 6-7, I will take you as my own people. Notice that. It's, it's, I will bring this for you, you, you. And now I'll bring you out as my own people. And I will be your God. See, God wants to not only have us to fulfill his plan for our lives, but collectively we all fit together in this. We find our allegiance in Christ. He gives us a personal purpose. But listen, that all fits in together with each other. God brings us with this great plan, this wonderful plan, and reveals it to us. We step into it, and we think, well, it's all about me. No, it's not. It's about everyone else. God wants us to be his people. Sociologists have discovered this in human behavior, that the highest level of living, the highest uh, amount of a fee, uh, fulfillment people have is when they find uh, themselves working out a purpose in a group. In a group. God's plan and purpose is a redeeming purpose to bring us together, and that's where we'll find our fulfillment. A fulfilled life happens when we are living life on purpose, according to God's plan, doing something that is greater than ourselves, that we can't accomplish by ourselves, but God empowers us to do it. So God has made these four basic promises. They are just woven throughout the Word of God. You'll find them throughout God's Word. And because, here's why, God is trying to get us to see these promises and to walk in them. You know, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. So because of what Jesus accomplished through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can walk in these promises. We can experience these promises. So I want to just focus on number one today. And let's look a little closer at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And God said to the Israelites, before I can, I can get you into the promised land, I first have to get you out of Egypt. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you can't live in the promised land if you're slaves in Egypt. God wants to accomplish the same thing in our lives. You can't fulfill God's plan and purpose while you're still stuck in Egypt. So God's promise is the first to bring you out. So when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were enslaved by Pharaoh. And so here's the spiritual picture. Even though it was a real event, there's a spiritual picture that takes place. Egypt is likened to sin in the world. Pharaoh would be likened to, to Satan. He embodies all evil. So there are three decrees that Pharaoh made against the Israelites in order to keep them captive, in order to keep them right where they were. And Satan does the same thing in our lives today. There are three things that you'll see parallels. These decrees that Pharaoh makes that we'll see in our lives uh, that we live today. So look at this. Here's the first decree that, that Pharaoh makes. Exodus 1 verses 13 and 14. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. In mortar and brick and in all the manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve with rigor. So the Israelites were enslaved. They were slaves while they were in Egypt, forced to make bricks for Pharaoh's construction projects. You know, there's, it's impossible to fulfill God's plan if you're a slave. See, he wants to make us sons and daughters. So it's impossible. So how could anyone fulfill it? They can't. That's why God wants to bring us out, 
out from this world, out from our sin. Listen, sin will make you a slave. It will make you a slave. So when we think of that word slave, we often think of someone who owns another person. And while that's a correct definition, we also forget that a slave is also a person who is excessively dependent upon or controlled by something else or someone else. So you can be a slave to a person, but you know what? You could be slave to a habit, to a substance, to an attitude, to a behavior. We could be slaves to our addictions. We could be a slave to a number of things. How can we fulfill God's plans and purposes if we are enslaved? The answer is we can't, and that's why we get so frustrated. So how do we know we're enslaved? When someone or something is calling the shots and telling us how to live our lives. When you lose control in an area of your life and you feel like that you're not calling the shots in that area of your life, there's bondage. But I got some good news. Jesus came to set us free, amen? That's the good news. There's a promise. It's a promise throughout his word. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not experiencing it. Don't give up. It's there. It's, and I'm going to help you through it. I promise you. I think one of these three things might be standing in the way of you experiencing these promises. So, and you know how it is with any type of sin, any type of behavior that could be, that can bring bondage, it starts out fun. It starts out fun, it's, it's, it makes you feel a certain way, and then all of a sudden you get to this place where you're not calling the shots, and what happens is it's no longer fun. And you, in fact, you don't, you don't even like it anymore. You feel trapped, and, and you may even just despise the behavior or, or whatever it is. You feel forced into living your life a certain way, because something else is calling the shots. The Message Bible says it this way, John chapter 8, verses 34 and uh, 35. Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life as it, as it and is. In fact, a slave, and a slave can't come and go at will. Boy, we are Americans. We believe in freedom we don't like restrictions, but how ironic in, in the most freest nation in the world how we can get so easily entangled in bondage. I've heard people say it this way, I just feel stuck. You ever felt that way before? You just felt stuck? So when we, we get spiritually stuck, we can't come and go as we please. We feel trapped. We've had no momentum. We feel like we have no purpose. You get depleted. You get frustrated. Anybody else ever been there before? Well, if not, I'm at the front of the line, okay? So if you feel stuck, guess what, though? Good news. You are a perfect candidate to experience this first promise because God promises to bring us out. The second decree that Pharaoh made was the destruction of all newborn males. Exodus 1.22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And why is this so significant? It's so significant for this reason. In that day and in that culture, male children meant something different than in our culture. Male ch children embodied hope. It in, they embodied the future. Uh, again, this is a cultural thing. Just kind of put it in perspective. Everything would flow through that male child in its, in its family. So destroying that male child meant you were destroying a future. See, that's exactly what bondage will do to you. It'll destroy all your hopes. It will just decimate all your dreams. See, he wanted to, Pharaoh wanted to destroy Israel's hope and their future. In those days, again, male children meant something different in our culture. They embodied the future, and he wants to destroy the future. 
Devil is, is the same way. Satan is the same way. There are some parallels there. Look, look, look what Jesus says about this in John 10.10. 10. The thief, meaning Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. But look at the flip side at what Jesus promises. I've come that they may have what? Life and life abundantly. So Satan does everything that he can to destroy potential. And, and that is in each of us. Each and every one of us. Remember, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Whether you're in bondage or you're walking free, God has a plan for your life. Satan will do everything he can. This world will do everything it can. It will throw out the kitchen sink at you to destroy that purpose. So it's a war that we fight. Maybe it can be summarized in these, these statements. Um, you get to this place where you're not fulfilling God's plan. You don't see your purpose. You, you feel like you're just depleted. Your hopes, your dreams, just they're gone. And you feel like this, I just feel empty inside. Or my life seems like it has no meaning, no purpose. Inside, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel like inside I'm dying and I'm just withering away. Man, can I tell you this? Before I came to Jesus, that's exactly how I felt. What am I supposed to do? What am I here for? God, I don't understand what, what my purpose is. And that's exactly what Satan loves. He loves to get people in that position and just drain them and just pound them. Feel like you have no purpose, no redeeming qualities. The longer Satan can keep us bound in Egypt, bound in this world, satisfied with this world, satisfied with sin, feel like there's no other place to go but Egypt, little by little, that destroys our hopes and our dreams. But there's good news. There's a promise God makes in his word that he will bring us out. He gives us a hope and a future. Here's the third decree, and this is the one I really want you to concentrate on, because this is probably going to hit most of you. If the first two didn't connect with you, I think this one will. Look at Exodus uh, 5, 6 through 9. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. For they are idle. Therefore would they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it. And let them not regard false words. If you'll remember the story, Moses shows up. He says, Let my people go. Let my people go so they can leave Egypt, go out in the wilderness, and worship God. Pharaoh says, no way. It's not happening. And what he does is he sees a glimmer of hope in the people that wasn't there before. And he goes, you know what? I need to crush that. The way I'm going to crush that is I'm going to put more work on them. The, the, we used to give them straw to make bricks. We're going to take the straw away, and now they have to go out and find their own straw. So this is going to increase the workload, but they cannot bring down their quota. Same quota, but harder work. So what does that have to do with, with the first promise? It has everything to do, because here's the picture. The picture is this, that Satan does the same thing to us today. Some of you, this world has you so busy, so over-exhausted, so overburdened, that you feel that anything that has to do with a relationship with God is just another burden, because the world has you so busy. Some of you would just wear yourselves out, advance activities that have no eternal value, none whatsoever. When you get to heaven, it ain't going to mean a thing. And you just wear yourselves out. And by the end of the week, going to church is a burden. Listen, church is not a burden. Everything you did during the work week can be the burden. 
Church is never supposed to be the burden. Your relationship with God should never be a burden. The burden is what you allow to be laid on your shoulders throughout the week. And that's exactly what Satan will do. He will rob all your joy, all your freedom. He'll, he'll take that hope of freedom out of your heart because he'll just overburden you. The true burden is the heavy yoke that is on our shoulders. And it's the, the yoke of busyness. And it keeps us from the things that give us life and give us fulfillment. Some of you are on the edge of burnout. In fact, you can go on vacation, take a few days off, and you never feel rested. You know what? It doesn't have to do. We try this. We try to reduce our, our physical activity. That's not it. See, rest is, is a matter of the soul. And exhaustion doesn't really come from work or physical activity. It comes from doing too much of what doesn't matter. Exhaustion comes from this place where it comes from doing too much of what really doesn't matter. This is exactly what Satan tries to do. He will try to wear you out with busyness, with exhaustion. That you come to this place where I'm just empty, I got nothing, I'm exhausted, I'm spit. But guess what? Good news, you don't have to be stuck there. The promise is that God says that I will bring you out. Jesus said this, check this out. Here's the opposite. This world will lay on you a heavy burden. It will wear you down. It will exhaust you. But look what Jesus writes, or says, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But see, the world does this to you. It will wear you out so much. You're like, man, I was going to go to church this week. I, you know what? I'm just too tired. I'm just too worn out. It's exactly what Satan wants to do. It's, exact, it's, a, it's an old trick. We get so, you know, God created the heavens and the earth six days, and he rested on the seventh. There's a pattern there, church. There's a pattern there. Rest is important, but rest is a matter of your soul. Remember that. So what does this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? has everything to do, let me show you this, Romans 8, 10 through 11. But if, if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, if that same Spirit is living in you, you who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his Spirit who lives in you. So if you come to Jesus and you've given him your life, you're born again. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on that Easter Sunday lives in you. It gives life to your mortal body. The Holy Spirit in us gives us the life that we, can, we can't live without him. We have to have Christ in us to fulfill the life that God's got planned for us. So the, these promises can't be fulfilled without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The same spirit who lives in you, if you're born again, makes all these promises possible to experience. When it comes to Easter, we're not supposed to just celebrate Easter. We're supposed to experience Easter because the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I. So we don't celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. We are supposed to experience His resurrection power. The Message Bible says it this way. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, Because Jesus was raised from the dead... We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. The four promises that God makes 
Avail, in the book of Exodus is available to us all today who are in Christ. Everyone who's been born again into the family of God. God's promises uh, us this. I will bring you out. So here's the question. Has God brought you out? Well, pastor, listen, I've been to church for years. I've done this. I'm not asking you that. Has he brought you out? Because that's the promise. Well, I go to this church and know, has he brought you out? This has nothing to do with church. It's a matter of a promise and experience. Have you exp- experienced this where God has brought you out. If not, I got good news for you. You can experience those promises. God, has he brought you out? And only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you. And I can't imagine anyone, anyone in their right mind wanting to stay under the yoke of exhaustion, under the, of experiencing a, a lack of unfulfilled potential, a lack of peace, a lack of hope. There's a better way. Jesus provides. He goes, listen, I want to take you out of that. I want to give you a future. I want to give you a hope. I want to give you purpose. I want to close out this message with two questions. Number one is this. So how did we get here? How did we get here? It's a hard question for some of you to answer because of your background. How many of you were born or raised or have lived in this area for a decade or more? Raise your hand. If you grow up in a small community like our Bible Belt culture, this question is going to be hard for you to be honest with. But you have to answer it. At some point, you have to answer it. You have to be honest about it. How did I get into bondage? How do I get into this place? How do I get separated from God's promises? How, how, do I, how did I get so depleted? How did I get so far from what God intended for my life? And here's what I want to, I want to take out all the shame, all the stigma, because in communities like ours, shame just runs rampant to where you just can't be honest and transparent. So I'm going to take all that out. Are you ready? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let's just kind of cut to the chase and we can answer that question honestly because we can. We, we know how we got to a certain place. We know where it started. But here's the good news. We can get off, off, that, off that track. Jesus makes a better way available for us. See, nobody wakes up when they say, you know what, I'm just going to walk away from God, do what I want, live my life apart from God's purposes, his plans. I'm going to just kind of try this, do this. No, this is what happens. We, we, we just drift. Have you ever drifted? I've drifted at times. Listen, any, every one of us, again, we all have a sin nature. I don't care how holy you think you are, we tend to drift, don't we? And so it's just a reality. The good news is there's always a way back. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is this. Just keep on getting stuck out there. No, no, it's not that. The grace of God is this. Bring you back to the place where you experience God's promises and his blessings in the full. So we just simply drift away. Some of us, we get disconnected from God. Maybe, maybe we try to connect with God. We go through the motions. There was no real connection, and we just, nothing really personally clicks, and we just begin to drift. Maybe some of you drift away because someone let you down. Something let you down. Maybe you had a bad church experience. I mean, these are all things that can cause you to drift. Others, you, you might be this. You've just compounded bad mistake after bad mistake. They're not really big by themselves, but I've done this before where I've made one mistake, but I layered it on top of another mistake. And finally, it brings you to the place where you're like, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get here and here and here? How did I get here? It, it, again, you didn't wake up one day and say, I'm just going to go out and just mess everything up. No, you just drift. It happens. But the good news is you could get back. Jesus promises to bring us out. Number two is this. So how do we get here? You answer that. I can't do that for you. But 
the better one is this. How do we get out? And it's really clear. So people tend to equate salvation to the day they became a member in the church, or maybe the day they were baptized, the day they said the sinner's prayer, the day they decided to go to church to try to live right. Please hear me. All those things are good, and they can be byproducts of salvation, but they aren't salvation themselves. See, new birth comes from a heart and a life that says, you know what, I repent. I repent. Just to kind of give you clarity on this, when Jesus began his public ministry in Galilee, he began to preach and teach this message throughout his ministry. It's, it's, it's right here, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on. So that means when Jesus began to preach here, from that time on, right? Jesus began to preach what? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come. It's not that, oh, he just preached it here in this setting. No, he began to preach this message. It was, it was kind of like his centerpiece. Repent. If someone repents, it, it means this, to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart, to have a change of direction. And the only way for us to, to, be, to be honest, when we come to this place where we're like, I'm just not experiencing God's blessings, his promise, but you have to come out. Come out from whatever's hindering you. God makes this promise, so you have to make a directional change. You make a decision. And if that's you, make, man, make the right decision today. God's given you an opportunity. Listen, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a tendency to, to just kind of fade away. Listen, today God offers you, let's, let's get back on board. Let's go in the right direction. Look what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Therefore, look at this. Come out, and this is New Testament. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God's beckoning us, calling us to come out. God promises a way out, a better way, but we have to go to the right direction. We have to make that decision. He won't make it for us. People want to experience everything that Jesus has available, but they don't want to let go of some things. They don't want to let go of some things. So we try to hold on to some things and follow Jesus, and it's impossible. Here's why it's impossible. Because at some point in your walk with God, there's a word that is going to come up, and it's surrender. God is going to, if he's going to take things out of your life, and you're going to experience all these promises, there's going to be places of surrender, where you just have to surrender yourself to his will. Choose to let go and give them to God. See, real salvation can't, and it won't happen. It won't be experienced until you surrender. Here's why. Because God's given you a free will. Freely you could choose him. Freely you could reject him. It's a wonderful gift that he gives us. You could choose God or you could reject God. And if you choose God, it comes to this place of, you know what, I've got to surrender. He can't save you unless you surrender. Unless I give up. It's, I'm, I'm yours. God gave you a free will. You have to choose him. You have to surrender. Egypt is not what it's cracked up to be. Let go. How's it working so far? God's got a better plan for you. Let go. Just let go. Mark 8, look at this verse here. Powerful verse. Talks, and it really summarizes surrender. He, Jesus, said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here, let me put it in, a, in better terms. Message Bible. Anyone who intends to come 
with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, by, by way, to saving yourself, your true self. See, it comes down to surrender. We have to repent. We have to surrender. How do I get out of Egypt? Last one, commitment. It comes down to commitment. You know what? Before I gave my life to Jesus, my allegiance was to Egypt. My allegiance was the sin. My allegiance was to the world. And you know what? Every one of us, before we come to Christ, that's where our true allegiance is. Now, we may not like to admit that in the culture that we're in. Well, I've never hated God, not believed, and neither did I. But my true allegiance, the proof was in the pudding. Not the words I said, not what I thought. My actions were loud and clear. My true allegiance was in the world. Are you following me? But when I surrendered and gave my life to Jesus, I committed myself to him. I gave him all my allegiance. Paul writes this in Romans 5.19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. See, remember what Jesus said about his yoke? His yoke, his burden is light. But the yoke and the burden this world will throw on you is very heavy. It's exhausting. It will wear you out. It will keep you from experiencing all that God has promised you. Sin makes us captive, and it's a very heavy burden. Sin keeps us longer than we ever anticipated. It makes us do things we thought we'd never do, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to spend. Jesus said his burden is light, and he invites us to commit to him in a relationship. You know what? Jesus gave his life not so that we can have a religion, but so we can have a committed relationship to him. So this morning, in order to really experience all the promises that God has, the first one you have to experience is to come out. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.